Yo, 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 my friends. This is not just any day on Drag Pond. No, we're saving lives today. I've got a virtual baseball triage unit set up. I'm medevacking Dodger fans in as we speak. We're going to lay them out. I've got the crash cart. I've got a syringe full of epinephrine. And we're going to give them a reason to live. Ladies and gentlemen, friends and family, and those of you that have pushed the wrong button, you've wandered in to a Dodger-specific episode of Drag Bunt. Now, for those of you that are not exclusively Dodger fans, don't get all pissy with me. I would do this for you, too, if you were going through the kinds of things that Dodger fans are dealing with today. Prized young shortstop is out for the season. He needs Tommy John surgery on his elbow. Now, as if you don't have enough to be upset about, I want to remind you that Tommy John surgery is not necessarily a 10 to 12 month turnaround. And I would say that we need to hunker down and assume that the young man won't be back until next June, maybe next July. History tells us that that's more likely than the baloney that they're talking about spring training. I also think it's important for us to really think about how this season has gone. Yes, Corey Seager is going to be out. Let's not pretend that all things were well. Because they weren't. They were dismal. Multiple problems. So, yes, Corey Seager is out. And he is a key cog in the cog of this baseball team. But at the same time, there were many issues that needed to be resolved. His production was lackluster at best. So I think we should step back and talk about, yeah, what is it going to take to replace Corey Seager for this year? And also, what is it going to take to right the ship? I think that what happened with Cody Bellinger being pulled from the game the other day has a little bit to do with what it's going to take to right the ship. Uh, I'm going to talk about that for just a brief second. Now, Cody Bellinger was pulled out of a game for, quote-unquote, not hustling to second base on a double that their manager believed should have been a triple, and if not... He should have blown in to second base uh, much faster than he did. The reality of the situation is that when Bellinger took his swing, he actually dropped down to one knee with the 
way he swung. He swung really hard. He dropped to his knee. So he was out of the batter's box pretty slow. Now, the problem was that after he was out of the batter's box, he trotted, and he really did. He trotted down to first base with the bat still in his hand half the way. Now, he was looking out to the outfield to see what was going on with the outfielders. Uh, he didn't realize at that point that the ball had gotten past the outfielders and was going to the wall. And when he did see that, he sped up. But the damage was kind of done at that point. He trotted into second base and stood there and then uh, got picked off by, uh, by the pitcher being too far off the bag. So the whole thing was just not great. And I think that Roberts, the manager, I think this is an accumulation of a bunch of things. And Roberts, after the game, said that Bellinger had been spoken to before about not hustling. He wouldn't have done this. He wouldn't have pulled him from the game if this was the first incident. Okay, so let's remember that this is not the first incident he had been spoken to before. Now, as well as this, Bellinger isn't exactly offensively, you know, the Bellinger of last year. He's he's not great. He's not good. He needs to get his crap together. So although this doesn't specifically have to do with that, I think it does. I think it kind of does. Yeah, it kind of does. Take a look at his numbers from last year. Bellinger had an OPS, an on-base percentage of 933. Now, He's at 797. Just horrible. Now, yes, 39 home runs and 97 RBIs. I don't expect it. I really don't. I don't know if Dodger fans out there thought, well, he hit 39 in the regular season. Um, you know, I think he should hit 50. I, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Um, I'm good with 30. That's fine. First baseman that hits 30 home runs. I think it's I think it's great. I think it's fine. And his place in the order, he should have he should still have 97 RBIs. You know, if, if he's if he's in the right spot in the lineup. And you know the guy stole bases, stole 10 or 12 bases last year. So you put all that together, and you've got a really valuable guy. We don't have to have record-setting home runs every year. We just need some, some singing production. Um, he's, he's far, far off the mark, and I think that's part of the issue. I believe that the most important aspect of this whole event was that it was Bellinger that Dave Roberts pulled from the game. I think he pulled Bellinger because he knew Bellinger would respond appropriately. Yeah. I think this is a message to the team. I'm confident that that's the fact. This is a message to the team that not only are they not hustling like they should, they're not playing smart. 
this is not the first time a Dodger has got picked off at second base while taking a lead. In fact, this is not the first time they've made really, really bad base running errors. We've got Puig who steals bases on his own without the manager telling him to steal and getting picked off. And getting picked off for the third out of an inning? Getting picked off for the third out of an inning, stealing third base while you're losing the game? You know, it's that kind of stuff that I believe this was a message that, you know what? Bellinger is one of our best players, and I'm not afraid to yank his butt out of the game for this, that, and the other, for not hustling, for whatever. You know what? I'll yank any of you out of the game. I'll sit any of you. I believe this was a wake-up call for the entire team, and it was a and it was specifically done to Bellinger because Bellinger, he knew, would respond correctly. And he did. It, it worked exactly, I believe, how Roberts thought. Bellinger said, wow, that kind of got me by surprise. But you know what? He's the manager. I don't maybe see it the way he saw it. But you know what? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to bust my hump every day. He didn't have a bunch of sour grapes, a bunch of gravel in his mouth, giving the answer. He didn't bad mouth. You know, Roberts, he, he, he really did exactly what Dave Roberts wanted him to do. He stood up there and said, well, yes, I may not agree. But regardless, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to kick some tail. I'm going to take some names. That's what he wanted. And he wouldn't have got that if he would have, you know, thrown Puig on the, on the bench. He wouldn't have got it if he'd have thrown Matt Kemp on the bench. Um, I'm not sure he would have got it with a bunch of the players. So he picked the right guy. He picked the right time. And I believe it's going to be successful because of those things. Dave Roberts is a smart dude. I want to take a look at this anemic offense and give you an idea of how bad it really is. I was looking this morning at the OPS for all of the Dodger batters. Now, OPS, on-base percentage, to me, it's maybe the quickest way to communicate total offensive production per player, better than um, a betting average and some other things. So I just want to give you an idea. Um, Puig, for example, this is the worst part. Boy, I, I just pick on this guy, but he's pretty pickable. Um, <laughs> Puig's OPS this year is 500. 500. You can't make a ball team with that. Last year, he was 833. That's the worst decline on the team. He hit 28 home runs last year. He's batting. His batting average is a buck 93. It's lower than his weight. He can't bat his weight. Now, that is the most egregious example of what's going on. Let's see, who's probably Taylor? This is really what the rest of the team looks like. This is indicative. Taylor's numbers are indicative of the rest of the team. Last year, his OPS was 850. This year, 695. 
In 140 games, he had 71 RBIs last year. He is going to be lucky. Well, he won't continue at this pace because they'll bench him. But at this rate, he'd have half that. We have two players on the team that are playing out over their skis. Um, Grandall and I would say, if I had to pick, uh, let's see. Kemp is batting 319, and he's got a 900 OPS. Nobody saw that coming, so I would probably say him. He's batting over 300. And he's got a 900 OPS. He wasn't on the team last year, so we can't compare. But for his age and for what was expected, this is this is awesome. A lot of detractors out there on Kemp. And you know what? You're listening to one of them. I thought this guy would be right in the pine. But he has – he's really kind of given us what the majority of the rest of the team can't do. And Grandall, our switch hitting catcher – who I thought was going to be on the bench the majority of the time. I thought that the backup Barnes, I really thought that kid had it. And he still does do some things really well. He walks basically more than he strikes out. The guy's great for a walk. Bring him in late in the innings. And, and he can play more than catcher. The other day, in fact, he was playing second base and Grandall was catching. So, I mean, the, the guy has a lot of reasons – to still be on the team, but Grandall last year, his, uh, his OPS was 767. Okay. 767. He batted 247 last year. 247. His OPS is 953. I think it's the highest on the team. It is the highest on the team. It's the highest on the team. The guy is really carrying the team. I can't even believe I'm saying that. Randall is carrying the team, our catcher. That's how bad it is. But he's playing great, and he needs to be told he's playing great. And thanks for getting us through this, and hopefully we can get the rest of these goofballs uh, to tune it up a little bit. When Turner went down, I said that the loss of his actual numbers was one thing, but it it was what that right-handed bat did to our lineup that I was most concerned about. And I think that's played out exactly, exactly what I said. Now, the loss of Seeger and his left-handed bat as far as being a lefty is not, is not the biggest deal i think with him it will actually be the numbers a we are a left-handed heavy uh, ball team so that we can recover from that as far as the way the lineup is constructed here's what i've seen that i think is is really interesting and i don't think it's wonderful i believe that calling up that kid muncie and now Verdugo, who have played very well. And I really like that Verdugo. He plays in the outfield, which we've already got enough outfielders. Um, I, I really think 
that they're trying to pull the same thing they did last year when they called up Bellinger and they thought Bellinger was going to come up and just just do enough until Adrian Gonzalez comes back. And then he went crazy and hit all the home runs and did everything we know he did. That was never planned. I'll tell you what, I really, really feel that that's what they're kind of doing with Muncie and Verdugo. I think they're calling them up. And yeah, Verdugo's coming up because Puig hurt himself. He got a hip pointer and he got something else wrong with him. Yes. But this has the feeling of desperation. This has the feeling like we're making spaghetti and we're going to throw it up against the wall and see if it sticks. This has the feeling of, well, we did it last year. Let's see if we can do it again. That concerns me. It's like a guy told me in business one time. Hope is not a plan. And I'm afraid that the Dodgers are relying on an awful lot of hope. And that concerns me. You're talking to... No, wait a minute. See, you're talking to... No, I'm talking to you. You're listening. You're listening to one of the biggest believers in the Dodger front office. I have always given them all of the rope. I've always said these guys are really smart, and I believe they are. We have the biggest analytics department in baseball, right? So with everybody in the front office plus the analytics department, I've got to believe that that there's there's more than hope, but it doesn't look like it. That's why I'm so concerned. That's why I'm I'm incredibly concerned. Now, here's how I'm going to know if we are hope or we are a plan. Do they address the Seeger situation by making a trade. I haven't heard anybody else mention this, but it's one of the first things that came to my mind. In this situation, because the offense is struggling so bad, if the rest of the offense was firing and we were in first place, without a doubt, they don't make a trade. They absolutely do not make a trade. They put Kiki Hernandez or they put Taylor at shortstop and we ride it out. With things going the way they're going, do they make a trade? Now, here's the one. This is the, this is the most far out trade concept that I could come up with. Manny Machado in Baltimore. They've made it known that they're going to trade him. They're going to trade him by the All-Star break. Now, the owner, Peter Elangio, Elangio, yeah, something like that. Let's call him Pete. Pete 
has said that he really, really does not want to trade this guy to the Yankees. They're in his division, and he hey, 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 hates the Yankees. So to trade him to a team that's going to come into your town with a guy wearing that uniform and stomp you into the ground the rest of the year, which it looks like they might be doing because the Yankees are that good and the poor Orioles, who I like, I like a lot of things about that team, but they're uh, it's just not good. They're not going to be there, and everybody knows it. So I think Pete wants to trade him outside of his division. And if he could move him from the American League to the National League, oh man, that'd be great. And we have we have the farm system to do it. I, I just mentioned Verdugo. Verdugo, yeah, a couple of single A pitcher prospects, I think it gets done. I don't think he's going to get the haul that he wanted originally at the beginning of the year, obviously because time's passed, but also uh, because the teams out there that are interested in having a guy like Machado right now, um, they don't have a farm system. The, the Yankees have really, between uh, when they got Gray from Oakland, and some of the other moves they, they did, the farm system has kind of been depleted unless they're willing to cut loose of some of the guys that are already on the team, their prospects on the team. They've got two, plus they've got uh, that redheaded outfielder. Uh, I can't remember his name. They, they've, they've got what it takes. But if Pete had a choice between trading him to them and trading him to us and taking a little less, I think he moves him to us. I really think he does. Here's the problem. He's a free agent after the end of the year. That's why you're going to get him for not a lot. He's a free agent. And Machado has said he wants to test free agency. He's going to reel in a pile of money that will be only behind Harper and... um, Oh, let's see. Let's see. Well, he, yeah, behind Harper. It'd probably be second to Harper uh, in the free agency. We're talking you know, $200 million. He's so young. He came up so early in his life. He's so young. He's going to get 10 years, maybe, maybe from somebody. It's going to be a huge amount of money. It all depends what his management team has told him and what expectations they have set in Machado's mind. Here's what could happen, and I want to run this by you. Okay, I want to run this by you because I think this is a possibility. And if structured correctly, I don't know if we can stay under the 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 payroll guidelines for next year, but since we stayed under this year, it kind of reset things, so maybe that's not necessarily a big thing to them. So going over again, Eh, maybe, but maybe we wouldn't even go over if they structure it correctly and backload that thing. And because he's so young, you he's here's an example of where you can actually backload a contract and put, you know, uh, 70% of the money in the last five years. And it actually works out because he'll still be productive. Most of these guys, that that never works out because these deals are done when they're 28, 29 years old. 
right? So what happens if we trade to get him and then immediately sign him to a new contract? It wouldn't be it'd be at that point. I think you would call that an extension almost. I think it'd be it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what you call it. What you call it is a huge amount of money. What you call it is probably yeah, it's two hundred million dollars. It might be more. It might be. It could be two fifty. And the and the, the thing is, as I'm talking about this, is Kershaw is also on an opt out year. So you're going to have to make another investment in him. So, you know, you're going to have to give him an, an additional four to six years. So, yeah, your payroll is kind of going to get crazy. It's going to get crazy. So now you're a Dodger fan and you're saying, well, why would we do – why would why would we need Machado? We've got Seager. Yeah, he'll be back in your house. You're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And you've got Turner playing third. What you don't have is a second baseman. That's what you don't have. We have been filling in at second base for how many years? Uh, Chase Utley loved the guy. You know, this this needs to be his last year. I think he actually got a two-year contract, but regardless. Kiki Hernandez loved the guy. He probably can go in that Machado trade. Do you move Seager to second? Machado at shortstop and leave Turner at third. That way, you really have three guys that are interchangeable, kind of. I don't think Machado can play second, but he can play third. I mean, if Turner gets if Turner gets hurt, which he has a propensity to do, then you move the guys around. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's worth considering how I started this conversation was will are, are do the Dodgers have a plan or are they living on hope if they make this trade that tells me they were living on hope yeah that's what it tells me because now they're going to say it's a reaction you know to this specific situation with this specific injury but I don't think so that's not that's not really what it is if they had a plan then they'd have a plan for every player that gets hurt basically basically the fact that they wouldn't do this if the rest of the team was going crazy and we were 17 and three, they wouldn't do this. And that's the question I'd ask them. If they, if they do make some sort of a big trade and they come back and say, well, we had to do this because of, of Seager, I'd say, well, well, um, would you have done this if you were in first place? And the answer is be no. Not they may say yes, but do you realize that Arizona is doing what they're doing after they lost J.D. Martinez from last year and really didn't replace him. They got in Souza to play right field. 
But offensively, he's not even half. He's not. Offensively, he is not half of what J.D. Martinez was. 45 home runs, 104 RBIs. I mean, do you realize that was in 119 games? 119 games he hit that many. Now, yeah, he, he played for Detroit at the beginning of the year. So then he hit 29 home runs and hit 302. 29 home runs and hit 302 in 62 games. That's amazing. 29 home runs in 62 games while playing for Arizona. They're doing this without him. And that's why everybody said that they were probably a third place team in the division behind us and probably the Rockies. How is this happening? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, part of it, their pitching is crazy good. Patrick Corbin has stepped up. Well, he's the guy who pounded us in the ground last night. Ten strikeouts. Holy smoke. So you got Grinky, you got Corbin, you got Godley, you got Robbie Ray. All really good pitchers. That's the thing they've got is they've got in a one through four, as far as consistency, they make us look bad. We have Kershaw. Right? And then we have everybody else. That's what we have. Kershaw and whoever is good this week. Maybe it's Maheda. Maybe it's Ryu. Maybe Rich Hill. We don't know. We don't know from week to week which one of these guys is going to step up and pitch like a number two. We have Wood, Ryu, Maheda, that all depending on the week can be a number two or a number five. That's the difference in our team and their team. And then you throw in the humidor. Now, I know I made a big deal about this, but initial and I know it's early in the year, and we really need a whole year of stats because of the weather differences in all these parts of the country and all the things that's happening. But I can tell you that so far, what was predicted because of the humidor has happened. It has absolutely happened. It is holding down offensive numbers. You throw the fact that they have a park advantage over teams. Then you throw in a pitching staff itself that is going to hold down teams. You've got a winning recipe. You really do. So I think that all those factors are really lining up for for Arizona. Here is 
This is really my biggest takeaway message of the podcast. So get your number two pencil and your piece of paper and write this down. There's two things that determine the greatness of a ball team. Two things, and they're not what you think. Number one, health. The health of a ball team. Which team in your division is able to go through the year with the starting lineup they want to put on the field every day without having to consider the health of the players. That's 50% of it. Health. You can have an all-star team on your bench. Does you no good. That's why I'm a big proponent of considering health over a lot of things when you go and sign players. Signing a player who hits 40 home runs in 162, but knowing that the majority of the years he plays 62 is of no use. I think when they think about these things, when they sign these contracts, they almost need to divide all the stats or the money that they're going to give the players, divide it by the number of days they play. And that should go into their calculation because it does no good to have these injury-prone players on your team, no matter how good they are when they do play. Because you've got to replace them with somebody, and you and you know, so that costs you money. So anyway, I don't want to get I don't want to get into that. So fifty percent of it is health. What's the other fifty percent? Schedule. Absolutely schedule. All schedules are not created equal. I remember, this is when I really became aware of this. I remember a couple of years ago when Ben Scully made a comment one night about how the the World Series team for the for the Giants and I think he used the term they really backed in to the playoffs. And he said if you look at their schedule, they had the softest schedule in baseball. And he was right. They played more teams with sub-500 schedules than anybody in baseball. That'll get you to the playoffs. Now, you got to do it once you get there. But, you know, we all know how the playoffs are. It depends on, you know, which part of your team shows up as far as execution. And, you know, if you can – there's a lot of good teams that make it to the playoffs that just don't seem to be – like the Yankees last year. There you go. There's There's your example. That should have been a World Series team. But playoffs came, pitching didn't line up right, blah, 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 blah. Schedule, schedule, schedule. So why do I bring this up? I am going to tell you, I'm scared to death about the Dodgers and the month of May. The month of May is critical, absolutely critical because of their schedule versus Arizona's schedule. Let's take a look at Arizona's schedule first. They play Houston three games. They play the Nats four. 
they play the Brewers six. They play us five times. Okay. And then, although their schedule or their schedule, their um, what they've done so far, the Mets, on uh, you know, on paper they haven't done a lot, but you know what? That pitching staff, depending on who you draw, they'll mow you down. So don't let don't start thinking the Mets are, are a pushover. The bottom line is they play 19 games in May. 19 games that include us, the Astros, the Nationals, and the Brewers. And then you throw in three against the Mets. There's 21. 22. So, that is stout. It's really, really stout. Now, let's take a look at us. I've already mentioned we play Arizona five times. Okay. Then we play the Padres. We play the Marlins. Yeah. We play the Padres again. We end the month with the Phillies. If you look, we have we have 17 games against teams that we ought to shellac. Okay. That's not including the Diamondbacks. I'm going to go ahead and say that that we, even if we don't win, we don't go 500 against the Diamondbacks in May. We've got the Padres for three. We've got the Reds. Forgot about them. The Reds for four. You want to talk about horrific. That's a terrible team. Then we play the Marlins for three. Now, this whole, the Marlins, what in the heck happened during that series? That's ridiculous. Actually, to tell you the truth, I give, I give kudos to the Marlins for coming across the country and, and kicking our tails around. Don Mattingly, you know what? Walk into that stadium, that's got to be uncomfortable for him to put on a team that nobody, nobody knows who's even on that team. And look what they did to us. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Okay, so we play three with them. And then we go at the end of the month, the 25th through the 31st, Padres and the Phillies. Padres and the Phillies. Four against the Phillies at the end of the month. 17 games against teams that we ought to kick and kick and kick. I mean, you ought to go 700, right? You ought to go 800 against in those 17 games. And then come back and split. Split the ones against the Nationals and then the, uh, the ones against Arizona. That's how you get back into this. You get back into it in a month when your schedule is soft and the Arizona team schedule is tough because that won't happen again. It's crucial. I believe May is crucial. If we don't do it, am I going to you know, throw up my arms and declare it a lost season? No, because that's not what we do. But I'm just going to say it's going to be it's going to be really, really hard. 
And as a Dodger fan, I made this point with a friend of mine, and he completely agreed with me. As a Dodger fan, I'm not going to accept any excuses less than winning the pennant. Hey, Dodger fans out there, think about that. Expectations coming into this year. Yes, Turner's gone down. He's coming back soon. Yes, we've lost. Da, 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 da. We can go through all this stuff. Bottom line, bottom line, the, what we have as far as management, the facility that we have, the coaching staff that we have, the farm system that we have, anything less than the pennant is a failure. And you know what? Dodger ownership agrees with that. I guarantee you Dodger ownership agrees with that. If we can't win the division, it's a failure. It's a failure. And I'm not sure who is going to be held accountable for that. I don't know if it's going to be Roberts. I don't know if it's going to be the front office. I don't really care. But their heads are going to roll. Excuses. There are no. There are no excuses when it comes to teams like the Dodgers. Hey, it's the same thing with the Yankees, right? It's the same thing with a couple of teams in this sport that excuses are, are not acceptable because you have all the tools. If you're some of these other teams, yeah, absolutely, excuses fly. It's not going to fly. So, I guess that's kind of my big thing this year is that if we don't win the pennant we don't win the and and if we don't win the division you know you can you can win the pennant without winning the division but we've won the division uh, how many years in a row now so won the pennant last year for the first time in several years you've got to win both you just have to you just have to win both just as a dodger fan nothing less than those things are acceptable. Just think about this. The team won a hundred and whatever, 105 games last year. We were on a roll last year where people said that we were going to win 117 or whatever the record was. But regardless, you win over a hundred games and then you come back the next year and you don't win the division? Really? I'm it's you don't win the the pennant? Uh, like I said, like I said, I mean it's very simple. Comes down got one word, unacceptable. So I stopped the podcast to listen to MLB. I was always interested. I'm always interested, and I watch every day, especially uh, High Heat with Chris Russo. The guy's really, really bright. <sighs> what does he do? He interviews Freehan Zaidi, who is the general manager of the Dodgers. Freehan Zaidi is extremely intelligent. He's one of the smartest guys in baseball, I really think. And what do they bring up? 
what are the chances the Dodgers go after Manny Machado? Unbelievable. So I've called a guy I know who's in the security business, and I'm having my place swept for bugs. Time and time again, I bring up a subject, I make a statement. It happens when I'm driving. My kids can attest for several years. Something gets said on the radio, and I say A, B, C, D. And the next day, somebody comes on and says, hey, I've got an idea, A, B, C, D. And I go, Dah! It's happened again. It's not coincidence. I'm not buying it for one second. We're going to find out who has bugs in this place, besides the bugs I see. And uh, we're going we're gonna to take care of it. This is intellectual property. That's what it is. And no one is more intellectual than I am. No, that's not true. In fact, everyone's more intellectual than I am. Okay, so let's not, let's just call it property. Non-intellectual property, that's what it is. Non-intellectual property is being taken from me without my permission. And it's going to come to an end. Starting now. So, Dodger fans, takeaway message. Don't let yourselves be overwhelmed by the situation of the day. There is hope. There's a lot of hope. Now, yeah, I've basically said there's hope till the end of the month, but it's baseball. Crazy things happen in this game. Anybody who's been watching this game for any amount of time has stories about crazy comebacks. Um, I mean, I could go on and on about even individual games, but also in the, the schedule of the year. The great Colorado comeback in August and September, several years ago. And at the same time, teams collapsing at the end with what looked like Leads that were so big that there's no way they couldn't make it to the postseason. So really, there is more than just this month to hope that the Dodgers can come around. And I was kind of reminded of that when I saw that today, the first day of May, is the anniversary of a really monumental event in baseball. Today is the anniversary of Nolan Ryan's seventh no-hitter. Seven no-hitters for that guy. His last one at the age of 45. While playing for the Texas Rangers, he mowed down a really good Toronto Blue Jays team. 16 strikeouts. Yeah, not a 
mamby pamby uh triple a team that had been assembled and he just hit him right and took no joe carter was on that team a bunch of really good players in fact that team became the world's championship team a couple years later so if nolan ryan at the age of 45 can strike out 16 batters and throw a no hitter at the age of 45 can we not overcome the deficit that we have the situations that we have as a team absolutely can absolutely so let your troubled heart be still remember if everything else looks bad and you don't know what to do just drag on